week's guest is Pamela Wisnitzer, who joins us from New York City. Pam has been working in the industry for nearly two decades now and currently works as a beverage consultant. We talked with Pam about how she got her initial start in the industry, the importance of social media, giving back to the industry, the cyclical nature of drinking trends, and where we might be headed next, plus a whole host of other topics. Make sure you check out Pam on Instagram at PamWiz or check the show notes as always for all the links. Enjoy the show. Okay, we are back after an extended absence with another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. With me, as always, is Dan. How are you doing? I'm still awesome. No real yeah, change that's there. Good. That's good to yeah, know. How about yourself? I'm, yeah, I'm medium. How's your holidays? Uh, we got through it. We got through it. Yep. Yep. Lots of good good Christmas parties at the bars. Lots of Christmas parties at the bars. That was good because we're going into the dreaded January, February months now. Although people are extending the Christmas parties into January now, which helps out quite a great deal. Oh, really? And now generally just February is shit, which is much better because then it starts picking up around St. Patrick's Day again. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you can still book Christmas parties right now at Sugar Run in Kitchener, Waterloo or at Babylon Sisters in Waterloo. If you wish to do that, Argyle will, will not be an option for you anymore. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's a, one thing I've discovered over this time of shutting down a bar is that it's actually almost as much work as opening the bar. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a real pain in the ass. Uh, did you drink all the booze there yet? We had managed to sell most of it oh, wow. uh, before we closed, which is good. Uh, and then, obviously, a lot of the liquor I can just repurpose to oh, the other bars, bars. So yeah, sure. that's good. Uh, don't tell the LCBO, but that's yeah. what, the AGCO, Perfect. but that's what's happening now. Uh, gotcha. I know we yeah. tried to drink as much as we could on that one Friday. Yeah, you did a good job. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> woke, woke up on my washroom floor. That's good for you. Yes. Good for you. I'm a responsible adult. Yeah. yeah. So aside from that, things are good. Uh, we're coming into the rough months, as I said. But if you still have a Christmas party that you forgot to book or were in delay, then it's at Sugar Run Bar on instagram or at babylon sisters bar on instagram you can dm us directly or just check the websites for email addresses to book your parties we can still do that in january february whenever lots of good stuff going on at both bars so check out our instagram profiles for that if you wish to be a guest on the industry podcast you can reach out to us directly info at the industry club or at the industry podcast on instagram you can dm us there that's where you'll find the magnificent artwork from Zach Hanna at ZachHanna.co, Z-A-K-H-A-N-N-A-H. Mm-hmm. Anything else that I've forgotten to mention? No, uh, no, you got everything covered. Although okay. I am going to miss you going through the Argyle Arms Instagram handle. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, the, not, not having to mention that and not having to drive to Cambridge four times a week, I'm not going to miss either of yeah. those. So. Yeah, just we're down to two bars over here. So Babylon Sisters and Sugar Run, come check us out. Perfect. Uh, enough about us. We actually have an f- unbelievable guest with us today. So we're going to get right to her. Pamela Wisnitzer is with us right now, coming to us from New York. How are you, Pamela? What's up? Hmm. Hello oh, from New York yeah. City. Thank you very much for doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks you. you. <laughs> Thanks you. Thanks to you. Yeah, the person. <laughs> Thanks you, India. It'd be so great if that's how the song went. But yeah. <laughs> just thank you. Yeah, for, yeah. First interview of 2024. Is the first interview of 2024, episode 170 uh-huh. something. I don't 179. know. And you, you could have done a whole lot worse, but here I am. Oh yes, we could have <laughs> done much worse. No, well, actually, I've actually been trying to get you on the show for a while. I think we've been 
been going back and forth for a bit because uh, obviously you have a very impressive resume. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing, but you'll be able to check it out in the show notes later if you're listening. But something, well, I mean, if most people probably know who you are if they're listening to the show, but I would say, like to get into from the jump, like how did you get into the service industry originally? Originally, well, okay. My very first, very first time being in the industry was in college when my friends were teaching a bartending course at Columbia University and I was a junior and all my best friends were teaching it. And they said, Hey, sign up for the Thursday night class because then after we're done, we'll wheel all of the booze back to the office and we'll pregame for free there and we'll go out. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, hello. It's, it was like five or six weeks, $120 and that's way better deal than all the bars. Right. right. <laughs> so I, I took the class just for that reason. Uh, plus, I think it'd be, I, it'd be fun because all my other friends had already gotten their bartending license mm. uh, licenses. So I took it. I They take the top 10% of the class to be in the agency. Um, I was in the top 10% out of like 100 people. And I didn't think anything of it until I lost my job in the recession because I'm that old. And <laughs> when, I lost, when I lost my job, I started daytime bartending at a sports bar here in Murray Hill. I actually walked by it today out of nostalgia. Um, and Still there? My parents... Uh, it's it's a hookah lounge now. Yeah, oh, of course. So, R.I.P. <laughs> it's going to be either that or a weed shop. So <laughs> I know here in New York, that's the likelihood. Yeah, it's same here actually. Yeah. 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 You know, innovation. We're moving forward with the next stages of, uh, of what people want, the consumer goods. Right. Yeah. So I I started daytime bartending while I lost my marketing job, and I really enjoyed what I was doing. And I saw that there was this really interesting wave of cocktail culture that was starting to emerge here in New York. I remember seeing the cover of a Time Out New York magazine that had all these bartenders on it. They were talking about cocktails. I remember, I didn't know who they were at the time, but now looking back, Megan Dorman was on it, Steve Schneider, Jason Luttrell. I only remember that Megan Dorman was the only woman in the yeah. group. And I looked at it and being really appalled and thinking, why is that? Right. And that kind of was the kick in the kick in the ass for me to get involved. I said, well, there's a wave coming. And if you get your surfboard out and you're smart about it, you can ride the wave and you can- well and that's what happened because like you like think about how many magazines you've been in now so (laughs) uh that's actually what occurred so that's crazy how do you get from that point to where you are right now and i'll just give a brief summary for our listeners who may not know who you are although that would be surprising to me but the like basically you've been nominated for bartender of the year tales of cocktail multiple times you've been named bartender of the year in several different magazines you are on nationally televised shows, internationally televised shows. So how do you get from that? Like, Oh, I'll get, I may as well do this cause it's free booze <laughs> to where you're at right now. A hustle, a dream and putting yourself in places you're not supposed to be. That's truly, mm. that's actually the recipe for success. I just, I didn't adhere to the regular hours that most bartenders did. I didn't sleep in late when like back in the day, I didn't party. I like, I partied, but not like as hard as some other people. I, um, Actually, I wanted to gain access into spaces that I was told that I didn't have access to. I wasn't, I didn't know enough. So I started a blog on the side. It's still, you can still access it. It's called (laughs) liquidencouragementblog.com. I'm pretty sure it's there. And I said I was a blogger. So Mm. I told everybody and I started getting press access to events and I would shake hands. I would just hustle and go into places and I learn and I'd read and I take classes and seminars because I wanted to be in those spaces. And they all told me I was too young. I got a lot of flack because I was a woman. Yeah, I got told no more than I got told yes. And I just didn't let it discourage me. I started doing cocktail competitions. I would just pick up ingredients and mix them. And I just did things until people started knowing who I was. 
Mm. And do you do you feel like the co- the competitions helped a lot in that regard? Because that is a way to get your sort of name out there. I think competitions do a few things. Number one, it's a really fun way to learn not only about how you can push your creative boundaries, but also learn techniques from people you're going to be competing against. So it's it's fabulous if you're there not just with the uh, the idea to win. If you're there with the oppor- with the idea and mindset to go in and absorb everything you're learning. So how much how much you can put out and engage and what's what are your presentation skills right that's going to push you to do that it's going to push you to make a drink based upon the parameters they tell you it's going to be an opportunity to meet a lot of really cool people some of my best friends in the industry came from cocktail competitions we were competitors at which is really neat and then also you'll learn new techniques so that's why i went into them i did i lost most of the competitions i was in until 2014 and then i won this whole streak of them so i retired after that <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah well, but, go on, you gotta go on top oh of course yeah <laughs> um i also think it's really important that like if you have been doing competitions and you get to that point where you're winning everything don't put yourself in it anymore we need to have new names you need to put yourself right. aside so we can have new talent that comes forward it's the only fair thing to do and if anything you should be offering to be a coach Mm-hmm. or to be a resource for people. And that's what I, I did. I stepped aside and said, who needs help? I like essentially, you essentially turn yourself into a bar back for new talent and new emerging talent. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. yeah so you, yeah, obviously a great networking situation as well, right? You just get to meet like fantastic bartenders from all over the world doing competitions like that. We've had several people on the show who've done lots of competitions and that's the thing they always say the most, like whether they've won the competitions or not won them, it's the networking part and like the relationships you, you make in the, during these competitions that matter yeah. the most. Just cause you win the competition doesn't mean you win the competition. The real winner is the person who everybody remembers the most. Mm. And I can say this because there was one competition that afterwards I got third place. I'm still bitter about it, but it's okay. I got third place and the PR woman who was behind it came straight up to me and introduced herself. And she goes, I'd like to take you to lunch next week. And because of that competition, I got to do so much work with her after that. Cause she saw, she saw a talent in me, which was really great. And I, I think losing is like the best form of winning because people get to see you shine. Like my friend, Alicia, Back in the day, did Bacardi Legacy. She didn't win the New York region, but every single person remembers her name, her cocktail, and her presentation. People still talk about it today. And that was back in, God, I want to say like 2017, 2018. So, oh, wow. yeah. yeah. So you don't have to win to make the impression. Mm-hmm. You just need to always be memorable no matter what you do. Right. Yeah. That's actually good advice. Like, just constantly tr- attempt to be memorable. Listen, people may not remember the cocktail you ever make when they visit your bar, but they'll remember you and they'll remember right. the hospitality you give. That's the most important part. No, like most of the time people will never remember the drinks I serve them, but they always talk about the experience of sitting with me. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great about. advice for our industry, honestly. Like, because once you learn how to make the drinks, you should be able to pull that part off, right? And and yeah. do you feel like also like we've gotten to this stage in the whole craft cocktail game that it's very difficult to stand out with a cocktail anyway? Like, so so much has yeah. been done, right? Like, what? we're not we're not going to be known for any drinks. I always right. my philosophy is, and I've said this for a long time that that food and drink are merely vehicles to create and generate shared experiences between people. And it could be between the person serving it and the individual between people sitting at the table. But that's what food and drink is really there for. They're mm-hmm. just they're vehicles, right? They're a catalyst. And I and if you have if any of you has read 
Alex Day and Dave Kaplan's book about like the origination of cocktail recipes, there's only six original cocktails, right? Everything stems from the same formulas and then we make iterations of it. And then we'll see something come back around again. Maybe you get a drink that people remember you for because your name was in it. Like I have a drink called the Whiz Fizz. A lot of people remember it. It was on a menu for three and a half years. People put it on other other places. It's like a Ramos root beer root beer float Ramos variation. Very mm-hmm. fun. But you're not you're not going to go down in the history books. Someone saying, "Oh, this was the person who invented so and so." Right. Like Sam Ross. Sam Ross did that back in the day. We had mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, people are going to remember you because you created that bar in a neighborhood where they didn't have anything in cultivated community. People are going to remember you because you start an association that helps give back to X, Y, and Z people, communities. People are going to remember you because you, uh, you have a really cool social media platform and you have been able to engage with consumers all around the world globally to teach them how to make drinks. This Mm -hmm. is how people are going to be remembered now. And I'm excited about this next stage. Like uh, because you're you started in an area where you started like blogging or whatever, right? Like that's like that seems like a different time to us all now. Uh, how much do you think? Like, wait, hey, I'm older than you. Don't worry. <laughs> but uh, the, but you know what I mean. Live like, journal. Yeah, yeah. But it's like considering where we are now with uh, the prevalence of social media, how much do you think that is a factor in like sort of the service industry right now and and where we're going with it? it's going to be extremely important moving forward. Anyone who tries to say that social media will not have any presence or any importance in the work of their, if their own personal work and the work of their businesses, in the work of their brands, if they're working with, they're creating a brand, they're fools. Right. Social media will keep reinventing itself every 10 years. We're gonna get different forms of social media and it's imperative that we use it as a vehicle. And we use it as a tool basically to promote what it is that we're doing to connect people to the work that we're doing. It's the easiest way to do that. A uh, great example, there is an, there was an influencer and her video came up, ran, I've never seen her before, but her video came up on my Instagram and she goes, guys, I was in Paris. This literally sounds like her voice. <laughs> guys, I was in Paris and I went to the most amazing bar that just like knew everything I wanted to drink and it was incredible like nowhere in the video did she say the name of the bar which was really annoying but she had this whole video about everything they're doing so in the comments you could find eventually people were like oh it's bar nouveau that's the name of the bar it's a bar in paris it's a new bar i believe it doesn't have a menu they kind of do it based upon what you want to drink but the thousands upon hundreds hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who like the video and were interacting with it means that people are going to put that on their list and go to paris and go to bar nouveau Right. Right. And that is the easiest way for a bar like that, a new bar to get on the radar. Yeah. So I find that interesting because like someone who owns bars myself, it's almost like I like I feel like what I'm doing is cool with my spots. But like the key is like no matter what I do or how much we no matter how much we put our own social media presence out there, none of that could have anywhere close to the same impact as someone who knows nothing about the bar industry perhaps nothing about making drinks or what makes a good drink or anything coming in there who happens to have a hundred thousand followers and posting a video about it i know but look you could talk all day about the spagliato nobody cared until two celebrities talked about it on a podcast Mm -hmm. so that just goes to show that influence does have a place at the table here Uh, for better or for worse i know there's a lot of people who want to fight it but the question is going to be how can we use influence for positive ways mm-hmm. and how can we how can we 
optimize it, right? To for the benefit of not just only ourselves when our bars benefit, but when the bar spotlight is on us, how do we then bring in the other people doing the work and spread spread the good word? Yeah. Yeah. So and, and for I, the record, like I don't find it frustrating. Like I like I'm not frustrated by it. I'm just perplexed by it and how to get it make to make it work for me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. because because I don't have that social media presence and no one who works for me does or works with me does either. So it's like it, that's the frustrating part, maybe, is that like it, it would be I'm happy to use social media for good or whatever. But the fact that that I like I would do better if someone who just happens to have a lot of followers comes in there and posts a video. I find maybe it's just because I'm old, but <laughs> I know. And and I know. And that's it's kind of like the run of the luck. Right. In yeah, some exactly. ways. Yeah, yeah. I see. I see it as a double edged sword over here, because sometimes you look at places where we kind of cringe and we're like, we can't believe that place is getting all the press right. and notoriety. Like it's not great. But simultaneously, I will say and look, I am I am an academy chair for 50 best. I have been for mm. a few years now. There are definitely bars in this world, especially here in the United States, like in this country, that get looked over left and right, and sure. other bars that that everyone hypes up all the time. And I, and I think certain bars definitely deserve to be on the list, and some of them that are on the list don't really deserve a place on there. And that has to do with the insular the insular ways that the inner workings of like the the top one percent of the industry can be, where we only go to certain places. So social media has also been this incredible tool to open up that doorway. That's to a good give point. More space. Yeah, yeah, and to give more space for places who normally wouldn't have a seat at the table to pull up a chair and say, we get to be at the table too. Actually, that's really a good point because before it was like way more insular, like you mentioned, like before we had social media to like promote all these places that maybe, like you said, the smaller community wouldn't have even heard of otherwise. Now that opens it up a little bit. So that, yeah. there is that side of it. It's, it's very, but also like whatever, right? Like in every form of business, there's the lucky ones who get noticed and the ones who don't. It doesn't mean that someone's doing a better job than somebody else necessarily, right? Like we could be talking about the fucking Academy Awards or whatever, right? Yeah. Right. And look, yeah. I say this to everybody. The word best is subjective. Sure. Yeah. And that's yeah. what it always comes down to in the end. So how do you, like as a member of that committee, how do you, how, like how do you take that uh, responsibility on? Like what what is your process to finding like the the best? I think best is a really fascinating word because it's defined so differently by each person but i really look at all categories and parameters i'm i'm, I'm looking at if i visit you i'm going to keep my eyes on you because i want to see later on I, I might go back and read some reviews online on google and yelp not that i really trust google and yelp but i think it's really important to always be looking back and saying do people who visit they like it when i visit you are you busy yeah um what is the what is the service like what is what are the drink opportunities like for anyone who's sitting there is it just catering to one type of drinker or are there things for every kind of drinker who might be coming into your place right uh what's the music level honestly that is a real thing <laughs> maybe i am getting old but but tr but truly like is it an enjoyable experience from the beginning to end how are you treating me differently because you know who i am um because if that happens i'll send some friends later on back and tell get them to tell me about the experience oh that's smart. yeah, <laughs> yeah you know like we'll test it out yeah. uh and then i think overall i you know i we don't want to lose the fact that, that a bar should still be a bar, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's got to be a fun experience, right? Like, yeah, it does. You know, I think it's just the experience should leave you feeling so satisfied. Like mm -hmm. you, in especially in this world that we're living in, in this economy specifically, your dollar is so important. 
and we mm-hmm. can't misuse our dollars. Like back in the day, it was easier for me to pop into a place, get like, get like a $12 cocktail and just call it a day. Now cocktails are like upwards of $22. So right. if I'm going to sit and want to have a drink, I want it to feel great. Yeah. You want the whole experience to be perfect. Yeah. And you that, don't. And that, and, ha- yeah. yeah. And that puts a lot of pressure on those places as well. Right. Because yeah. So, you know, but like, you but don't in have a good to way. Clear- yeah. Yeah, but you don't have to like cl- you don't have to clarify ingredients to make it fantastic. No, 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 it no, really, no. no, no. But some no. people think that has to be right. Um, I'm just looking. I'm looking for that personal edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like well, That's it goes it. back to what you were saying earlier. Like the service is way more important than the cocktail already, right? Like I just mean it puts a good in, in a good way. It puts pressure on the establishment to offer, which is what we should all be trying to do anyway. The perfect experience for the guest, right? Like because we have to charge more for shit now. Like that matters. Like we we should be doing a better job as a result. Uh, yeah. But I also like what you were saying about the volume level and like the level of the lights as well, because so I'm obsessed about shit like that. Like at my spots, I because uh, to me and tell me if I'm wrong, the vo- level of the music should be just loud enough for you to hear every single song that's playing. So you get the vibe of the playlist in the spot, but you still should be able to talk. Yeah, that's optimal. The, yeah. When you have to yell, right? when you go to clubs to yell, mm. you go to bars <laughs> to talk. Yeah. Uh, acoustics are really big. And I think as people design bars moving forward, I was actually just at my friend Evan Hawkins new bar here in New York called Romeo's. It's fabulous. It's in the East village. And one of the most profound parts of his bar, I was standing there talking to him and he goes, do you realize that we've just been talking for 10 minutes and you haven't had to yell? And I said, yeah, that's weird. He goes, but you can hear the music fully in this Mm. space. And by the way, it was packed. It's, It's a bar. It holds a capacity of 75 people and it was packed. And he goes, yeah, that's because I designed this place with acoustics. So it, 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 like I don't want to give away his design secrets, but sure. if you go in there, you can see how the ceiling works. He goes, you can put the volume up so loud, and you can still talk to your friend normally, and that oh, is brilliance good. right yeah. there. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. Like because that's a big part of the bar experience. The music is a huge part of a bar experience, but yeah. you also want to be able to talk to the person you came with. I my thing with the lighting is, and this is changing as I'm getting older and realizing that I can't fucking read the menu sometimes if the place is too dark, but. <laughs> <laughs> one thing i used to say always is like i want the because i like a dark bar but i was like i want the lighting to be so low that you won't know what your tinder date actually looks like till the next morning but oh no <laughs> but now as i'm getting older i'm realizing wow now i can't read the menu that's not good yeah <laughs> so my, then- my mom my mom was that person back in the day we'd sit at a table and she asked the server she'd be like can you just turn on the light above our table right here just this one and i'm like that's not how it works yeah that's not that's not how it works yeah i mean we just be accommodating of every kind of person who might be there so make sure if, it, if it's dim lighting that there's a lamp nearby or some way that you could Mm-hmm. someone can read the menu luckily we have phones now so that's okay. well that's the thing the flashlight on the phone is a real game changer <laughs> huge it makes all the difference i always like um when you, i would like light a candle at a table i'd be like here's your ambiance and people yeah. thought that was always a funny <laughs> <Yeah>. joke <laughs> uh so something else i wanted to talk to you about like how would you actually describe your job right now oh <laughs> because like it's not like it's so like and the reason i'm asking this is because we get people on all the time and generally they're still working at a bar or a restaurant right but they've had a lot of accomplishments been recognized for like you have for many different aspects of your job but you're not like physically working in a bar or a restaurant anymore 
So what, no. how would you describe what you do to our listeners? Yes. So, so I tell people I'm a beverage consultant. Okay. And the reason I use that term is because I work predominantly um, with beverage clients or venue clients uh, or specialty clients on creating and cultivating uh, event work, um, innovation strategy, marketing on products and brands. Uh, it's, it's it's the same way like if you worked with a big company, sometimes they pick you pull you on as a stringer, they call it, a stringer for a project. So that's a lot of times the role that I have. People come to me when they want to execute something on a, a larger scale. Sometimes it's, it's for media uh, work because I do a lot of media interaction and engagement. And, uh, and then I still work with some venues doing beverage programming. So that is still a thing. I'm not behind bars, but I still do um, some selective programs. Right. So you still work on like actually making cocktail menus? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I oh. do. I'm still, That's good still in you, the know. Because, you know what? That's good because like I find that I don't do it anymore because I've turned that over to the bartenders or managers that I have working with me. And now I I don't think I could make a fucking cocktail if my life depended on it. Like I've gotten you, so far out of it that you definitely could. Don't worry. I mean, look, there's there are definitely the people who are closer to closer to everything that's happening like there are bartenders who are like tasting every single new product that's coming out they know like oh no every geeky tactic like none of the places i work with are going to have uh you know like a laboratory equipment that we're going to be making things in the back right. it's not it they don't want that either um and i may not be putting the most esoteric bottle into every every single drink but what i do and where why people like to work with me is i always think about the the consumer the communal consumer who's coming to sit at your bar based upon where you're located in the, the country or the world. And I think about the drinking patterns that are there and how we can best monetize off of the desired drinking preferences of the person who's going to walk into your space. Mm, okay. And to me, that's, and to me, that's most important because if you're not making the drinks for the people who are coming to drink there, if you're making them for yourself, it's not going to sell. Well, that that's a big problem. And that became a big problem with the whole, like the original explosion of Instagram and like the whole star tender, like, uh phase of what we but I, I feel like we're kind of getting out of that now and people are going back to like just good drinks classic drinks whatever and maybe that's just because everything's been done or maybe i don't know maybe. we're putting cheese on espresso martini oh yeah like, that's the big thing now right <laughs> it's funny i was having a conversation about espresso martinis today with former guests on the show at a bar a local bar and we're just talking about that like how all this is cyclical like like even a year ago maybe a year and a half, two years ago, like espresso martinis were like not a thing. Nobody gave a shit about them anymore. It was like a drink from the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, whatever it was. And then now it's like the most prevalent cocktail again. And and we were having this conversation like, oh, and is this going to last forever now? And I'm like, of course not. And like six months, we're going to be back to the fucking grasshopper or whatever. Like, I don't know what the next one is going to be, but... If the grasshopper really came back in a hardcore way, my heart would just um, soar because it's <laughs> in my top. It's my top five. I did an entire podcast with somebody else about the grasshopper. Oh, it really? Is, it is one of my favorite drinks in the whole entire world. Oh, I'm glad and I randomly picked that I love one. It. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I actually like a grasshopper too. It's such a weird drink, but it's so. But yeah, no, it's like a thin mint. It's yeah. it's a mint chocolate explosion. It's perfect. It is. It's Maybe it's absolutely just a, a perfect yeah. drink. Oh, okay, all right. But yeah, but you know what I mean? Like how this is cyclical. Like the espresso martini is hot again right now. A few months ago, it was the Negroni was back in a big way. And before that, it was the old fashioned. Now, granted, there's um, 
a lag in Canada from where you are in New York. So maybe this seems like <laughs> I'm, I'm talking in the past to you a little bit, but uh, do, you, do you know what I mean about the cyclical nature yeah, of this? I, yeah, I, I blame the LCBO for your your lags. I blame so. them for everything, Pam. Everything. Yeah, I blame, I blame them. <laughs> uh, what I will say is that everything in life is cyclical. Every single industry, fashion especially, is the mo- is the most cyclical. Right. Music cyclical. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. Everything will have its time to come mm-hmm. back around. So yeah, we went like the weird, innovative, kooky. We went to the esoteric. We went to the fringe, and then we came back to the clean classic. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, the other part about all this is that drinking is changing because there are a lot more people who are sober, sober curious. Drink uh-huh. no and no and low drinking. Um, rise of cannabis. Rise of uh, psilocybin psychedelics. And we're going to see a major shift because Gen Z doesn't interact with alcohol in the same capacity as millennials, Gen Y boomers. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's not cool to them. Drinking is not cool to them. It's like something that their yeah. uncle does at Thanksgiving. That's usually right. But then, yeah. <laughs> but then, look, but then look at look at how that was his, historically. We can look at we can look at generations. There was like a there was a dry generation like around like in the fifties and sixties. Like while people were drinking at home, yep. there was a more dry generation. You know, and even the hippie free love movement. They weren't drinking so much. They were a lot of weed. But then it came back hardcore with disco, right? With right. disco in the 70s and 80s. So this is this is all cyclical too. And who knows what's going to happen down the road. So maybe we just need an injection of cocaine to get it back to... <laughs> I am not advocating for anyone to be using anything, any no, substances. I, but, I, I but... Certainly, certainly not either. I just meant that from the disco yeah. generation. For- but... I was I was going to advocate for illuminated dance floors and disco balls. Oh, oh right. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which disco balls are back very big, big ways. Um, are they? They're very, yeah, they're really yeah. back. And also disco. Well, here in New York, over the past two years, disco style spaces have been the rage, which I'm sure you're going to start seeing an influx of this in Canada and other places around the world. So places yeah, we're, that... We're, we're yeah, usually a good, small. like, 18 months behind you at least. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's been opening up places with, like, laid-up floors, disco balls. Really? Like, it, it feels, oh, nice. like, kind of discotheque-y. Yeah. That's and great. they've been and – and they've got, they serve full-blown cocktails, which is very cool. Oh, so that's the key, right? Like, taking back some of these elements from the past, but marrying them with what we're doing now, like, like high-end craft cocktails and disco? That's awesome. Yeah. Hybrid. Yeah. Hybrid's cool. Yeah, a lot of people – a lot of people are not looking to have that speakeasy moment anymore. They're not mm. looking for that. They got a quiet space. We have to wait in line forever for like people want to be loud. They want to be social. And I think especially we have to remember coming out of the pandemic, a lot of people are yearning for that social connection mm. again in a bigger way, not in like, not in smaller ways. In bigger right. Ways. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I'm like always very, everything I've always tried to do on my end is like, um, a marriage of two ideas that don't seem to make sense. If you smash them together, like that's give me, give me an example. Uh, well, uh, so I mean, it's, some of this is going to seem not as relevant to you because uh, again, bear in mind, we're in Kitchener, not New York, but, uh, like when the, the speakeasy that I opened, uh, in Kitchener, we were like, okay, we're gonna, it's going to be a speakeasy, but it's going to be, we play only eighties disco beats and it's focused on just rum. So like a bunch of ideas that don't seem like they marry perfectly together, uh, but it's ended up working out. Like, so like those are the kind of ideas that always interest me. If you're trying to smash two ideas that don't seem to make sense together, we have this like exhibition in Toronto. uh, (laughs) Well, it was called the CNE that, uh, 
where their whole there's a whole building where all the food is like it's like a food court but it's always like bananas mixed with tacos and like like every single stand is like like smashing two ideas that don't seem to make sense together fusion fusion i guess but 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 unusual fusion like it's not like oh uh like <laughs> thai indian like it's not <laughs> or like <laughs> like kim like the kimchi hot dogs yeah exactly stuff like that yeah i yeah. think it's one of those things when you like spin two wheels and you have to put make it work and put it together right like mm. a food network uh a food network game show <laughs> a food network game show yeah and you've been on the food network <laughs> i was on an episode of restaurant impossible one time and that was that was a hoot oh nice what was that like i mean you know a lot of start stop here help you know the guy and as opposed to something like john taffer on bar rescue which is trash i i can oh, stand yeah. by that i can say that on here i can say it yeah. um yeah. and i was almost on that show three times thank god i didn't do it but the guy who hosted this was really nice and like a lot of compassion he he was so kind in the way that he was like helping with and getting their place back open so yeah, it was a, a, it was a really nice experience he's a massive dude too i'd hate to piss that guy off yeah. Uh, so yeah but just john yeah the John Taffer tactic doesn't work. And I, I, I'm so opposed to that show and I hate that people still watch it, but here we are. People love the extremism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's basically the major problem in life. All <laughs> any way you look at it is, uh, yeah. especially in North America, everything's become so extreme. You're either on one side or the other, and there's no way to meet in the middle. It's like, but that also works with reviews you get from a bar or a restaurant, right? Like, it's like, I've decided yeah. this is what I like. So if you're not providing exactly what I like, then what you do is total garbage. And yeah, yeah, which I, I don't get. It's, it's like, you can just say it's not for me. Yeah, it's subjective, right? Yeah. I love the people who go to bars and they're like, the food was great, the drinks were great. I had the best time, but I didn't love the seat I sat in. So I'm gonna give it three stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no sense. Yeah, Why? People feel very entitled. They. Um, it's amazing the power the power of a person the power of the consumer right everyone feels very entitled that their opinion is the one that matters well and a lot of it's because they don't have to do it to your face anymore right it's way easier to be entitled if you can go home and just type it into your phone as opposed to actually having to directly confront the person who's providing the experience for you like yeah and and that's what drives me nuts all these online reviews because it's like we'll be there we're talking to the Yes, like, and then we read their review later. I rem we know who you are. Like we we yeah. remember you, and you said nothing the whole time you were there, and just waited to leave, and then trash us online. Like Alton Brown had this brilliant show that was on Broadway ages ago, and I'm sure you can maybe find the clip somewhere. But he has this hysterical clip saying that the worst thing that we have ever done in society is is provide kids menus, because providing kids menus to children gives them the first sense of empowerment to take control of demanding something that they want and the way that they want it instead of adhering to like what the rules are which is like you order off the menu we all order they have like their own special menu and then they get to be all fussy about it and it's the funniest funniest bit because it, you think about like where is the first time that we had like autonomy where we got to do that and it, it is these stupid kids menus where everything's dumbed it's dumbed down and it, they're like i want it this way and i want the chicken nuggets and what do you, mean you don't have the chicken nuggets that restaurant has the chicken nuggets i have a menu at that restaurant so like that's the first time that we <laughs> see it wow that's amazing and maybe if we didn't have kids menus we wouldn't have this kind of like pickiness getting started so early we all just like can be really happy where we are with what's being offered and you know no that's interesting. a little different <laughs> 
I never heard that before, but I do. And I think that that is definitely, it's just obviously getting worse and worse. Like the <laughs> younger generations are getting more and more entitled. Right. So it's just like the, yeah. like now it's like the expectations are off the charts. Like even the generation of uh, people that I'm hiring in my businesses are like, I'm like, I don't know what you expect. Like if I hear one more time from someone who I have hired, it's like, I don't have any money, but I can't work tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, or I need, I need to be the first cut, but I'm broke. I'm like, I don't understand. Do you like, do you not know how math works or what? <laughs> like, there's just, math can oh. be really hard for some <laughs> That's true. That's and true. I'm not here to judge. <laughs> I'm just here to remind you that math can be very <laughs> Math can be hard. Uh, yes. What do you think the next, like, where do you think we're going in the industry now? Because like, I, I do feel like there's become like almost like, and maybe it's just a cyclical thing, but there's almost like a backlash to how far we can go in the whole craft cocktail experience. Like, like how, how much farther can we go till it's just like an invisible cocktail that you hold in your hand and just smell the essence of like, you know what I mean? Like, or like how, how much farther can we push this? Or are we, is it just going to revert back to people wanting classics? Where do you think we're going next? Wasn't it that Portlandia kit when Andy Stanberg comes out? He's like a flash of vodka. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the truth of the matter is with the way economics are going, the likelihood that we're going to be seeing bars opening as rapidly in the future is going to be seldom, I believe, Mm, down the road. Because we don't we're not going to have the economic structure to allow people to do it. Julie Reiner, who owns a lot of great successful bars clover club leanda nama ladies her wife sue is brilliant and she's the she's the money minds behind all the places and she said to me at one point having the bars she goes sometimes it feels like i'm just operating a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. yeah so even with these bars that are so so successful you know you have to look at the margins like a lot of my friends have asked me if i'm going to open a bar they're like you can open a bar and i said i said do i want to be like what is what is success? How do you how do you drive success? Success um, is just actually still being open. That's it. Yeah, success yeah, is yeah. being open, but the, but the you want longevity. You want to have yeah. funds to retire. I was just reading an article saying how much money do you need to have for retirement and how long will it last? I don't right? want to know the so, answer to that. So just keep. Going. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Maybe you should read it. I yeah. what I urge what I urge everybody is that what I urge everybody is I say this. Opening a bar, if that is your your dream, I want you to pursue your dream because I think we should go after our dreams no matter how big or how small they are. It's really important to try for it. If you want to open a bar, think about these following questions. What is going to, A, first, what is going to set your bar apart from every other bar that's already out there? What are you doing that's different? What are you offering to everybody else? B, where are you putting this bar? Are you putting it in an oversaturated area that already has a ton of bars? Is that going to yield you the type of clientele that you want? Are there enough clientele to even be distributed throughout that area? Or can you be in a different part of town, maybe where there isn't anything and serve a community and serve a purpose? And C, operationally, how is it that you want to run your bar? The best way to own a bar, Francis Schott, who owns Stage stage Door, Stage Coach, Stage Door, I can't remember. It's in New Brunswick. He gives really wonderful talks because back in the day, he bought the building that his bar is in. Yeah, that's the key. And you do, and the key is to own the real estate. So do you have access to owning instead of having to like pay rent? Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is, what is your bar doing for your, for your local town and your local community? Are you working with local vendors? Are you keeping economic opportunity within 
the structure of like your your own state or your own your own city or own country or you letting that money float out in other areas there's just a lot of things that bars can do better and i i think sometimes people over bars because they just want to be cool and they're doing the cool thing but like that's fine but it won't last longer than maybe five years and Mm -hmm. then what then then what are you going to do what's the point the point is you want to open something that you hope will have staying power Mm -hmm. how do you create staying powder how and then when you have staying power how do you keep reinventing yourself in the smallest ways so that you can stay there for the long term yeah I think we a, have to ask ourselves that that's a real challenge because i think like people always talk about oh well, you have to reinvent yourself you have to keep reinventing yourself which i totally agree with but you have to do it incrementally like you just mentioned because you also can't lose the vibe that you originally created because that's why people were coming there in the first place right like you can't just one day it's not like one day you're going to be cocktail labs the next day you're a karaoke bar right like (laughs) so the the reinvention is necessary you constantly have to be thinking about how you can make incremental changes to bring more guests into to bring more awareness to people in the city to create more guest experiences but you can't change like you can't go night and day with these changes because then what are you doing like right yeah Yeah. and and i think i don't think you have to make huge changes i think you always have to be offering really hot really great products no matter what Mm. is the product that you're offering and you need to you need to ensure that you're staffing with people who honor the space that they're in because mm. if they're not about the ethos of what you have and if and i think that's the other thing i think a lot of places never define what their ethos is and mm. what they're trying to deliver and that causes you to have staffs that just don't care the apathy is so high right and it's really telling when you're a guest when you are served by somebody who just doesn't care they're just like phoning it in because they're working there oh, and you, you can tell you, that people, yeah. yeah and the people don't have to give their lives like that's not what I'm, I'm not asking you to give your life to this place but it's nice when people you can see like get along with each other at least enjoy their job they're like they're they're mm-hmm. satisfied is the word i'm looking for you don't have to be in love with it so i think these are the elements that we're going to be looking for in bars moving forward i it is going to be really fascinating considering people want to continue opening up bars and there are bars that are open people are going to be excited about but i always say like what is what is the staying power of a bar and will it lose if if that big head bartender star bartender that you brought on as your head bartender if they leave after two years will people care anymore right so what is it that you're creating and who is it around and what is it serving i see because what you if mean. It's, yeah, yeah like very specifically with the staying power because it's like it can't revolve around one hot bartender that you hired or whatever right and i don't mean hot in appearance maybe sometimes but like <laughs> but uh, like just like a, a celebrity bartender i think that that's uh, you sum that up well but also like we do need people to keep opening bars because like people like us who love the bar and restaurant industry and the service industry in general, we do need the more creative minds to keep doing it, but it's becoming like a more and more difficult idea to, to execute because of, like you said, the way the economy is working right now, like it's not an easy business to get into. So hopefully we just find some people who have money who are willing to give people who with ideas a chance. <laughs> I'm going to say this right now. I need everybody in our industry to stop hating on everything celebrities are trying to do to get involved. Just stop because celebrities right. have money. Celebrities are no different than your angel investors. They just come with more notoriety and sometimes they want to be like in your videos or on your signs. If they want to help give you an Excessive. influx of money for your, for your brand, for your, for your bar, for your business, and they and they seem like they're cool and the alignment's right and the percentage everything 
get involved. And exactly. our whole industry needs to stop shitting on celebrity owned brands. Cause just cause it's owned by a celebrity doesn't mean it's poor quality. And I'm going to stand by I, that statement. I a hundred percent agree. Obviously there are lots that are, but that doesn't mean that they all are. And definitely it's like, you wouldn't be shitting on someone who just was like uh, a wall street dude to give you a bunch of money, right. Who nobody had heard of. Like everybody, you would be like, Oh, good. Good for you. You found some money to open a cool spot. Like we we need, we need their money. Yeah. 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 And if we could all just be like, just, if we could all just start being more excited about all the, like the new things that are coming out, the new bars that are opening up and just be there and say like, hurrah, I'll, I'll be there. I'll pour that. I'll be a part of this. Like we could do a whole lot more good. Yeah. And just stop just shitting all. on everybody in general. Like, like why let's yeah. give, let's give it a chance. Let's give it a chance. My <laughs> philosophy as of many years ago, but especially the past few years, it's one of those like if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I really, I really hold that true there. You know, there's I've got my own opinions on certain people in certain places. But like, I don't need to share that there's no need to if someone says, what do you think of this? Be like, hey, be like, I I just say I've been there. Maybe yeah. like, but I also went to this other bar. That's really awesome. And then just right, right. something else. <laughs> you don't have to tear it down. That's right. Actually, that's good advice because there's a way too much of that is like in life in general, but especially in our industry, I find like people are very eager to shit on the new spot that opened or like how they could. And a lot of it's jealousy, like I could have done it better or whatever. Right. And we just don't need that. We need, especially in today's uh, economic climate, we need to be supporting all of these places so we can have more of them. Otherwise, one day you're going to wake up and it's just going to be all chain restaurants everywhere. No, okay, but I like love a chain restaurant. So. Sure, I would. That's yeah. all. But we need more than that. <laughs> I know, but I. So I. It's funny. I actually I made a video that I'm going to be posting tomorrow on my Instagram. But the whole the the whole key lesson in it is that you don't have to. You don't have to put down like somebody else to assert your own self and your own ego and, and importance, right. and that's something that I've just seen way too often. Uh, and there's no need for it. There, there's space for everybody and if anything try to uplift everyone try to throw the rope back to help other people or if you see something that's really if you go to a place and you see something that's that's really off or you think could be constructive by talking to someone not giving critiques like criticism but something that could be really helpful sometimes i send little dms to my friends and i'll be like hey i had a great time at your bar here's like one or two things i saw like if if you want to like just know about it not critiquing a person just that's, an element of service yeah. and i'm like this i said you take it or leave it but could just yeah. be an enhancer and, and at least it. then it's a private message right like it's not like out there for the oh whole world God. to see like <laughs> yeah so smart well pamela thank, thanks so much for giving us all this time tell our listeners where they can uh, see this video that you're posting tomorrow oh i'm i'm just pam Wiz on pretty much all social platforms so p-a-m-w-i-z on instagram and twitter not twitter Oh, what do we X, X is Camel Business there? X, yeah, I don't even yeah, really X, use it. I don't know. I've X. never been on it really. <laughs> yeah. And then and I don't really use TikTok as much, but trying trying to get involved in that a little bit this year. Yeah, but that's yeah, the I next just wave. I, I like to I like to infuse booze, Jews. That's kind of like my booze and Jews. <laughs> yeah. Booze and Jews. Yeah. Well, yeah. So we didn't even get into that, uh, that you are a proud Jewish woman and uh, it shines, shines all through your Instagram feed. And uh, I think it's super important. All the stuff that you put on there, everything is very positive, which is very much appreciated in this industry. Having this conversation with you is very positive and it was a thrill to talk to you. I, like I said, hey. I've been trying to get you on here for a while. So thanks so much oh. for doing it. And uh, yeah, thanks for everything and best of luck. Thank you and thank you for having me and, and great riveting conversation. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks a ton.